Let me read, if you will, Revelation chapter 3. Began reading with verse 14. And the angel, and to the angel of the church of Laodiceans, write these things, says the Amen. Notice that's capitalized. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. And the Lord says to this church, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit, spew as one translation, vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, now notice what they say. Notice their opinion of themselves. I want to ask you this morning, what is your opinion of yourself and what is God's opinion of us? Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of what? What? Nothing. I don't need anything. Have need of nothing and do not know. Now here's God's opinion. That you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I cancel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may be Revealed and uh, may not rather be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Verse 19. And as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, God says, therefore be zealous. Now there's that word. We can leave it out if you want to. That word, that it's not used a lot today in our culture. Be zealous and what? Repent. <laughs> that word is needed. And I believe it, and I think it's so important. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Then he says at the end, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church's father. This is I desire that we hear, not just with our ears, but with our heart, with a spiritual understanding. Speak to us. May the seed that fall today, the seed that fall today, the seed of your word, may it be fruitful in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. About five years into my pastorate, which was about 45 years ago, I felt to go back home. My home is Clinton, North Carolina. It's in Sampson County. And I felt to go back to my home and preach a revival. Back then, revivals were revivals. They were extended for days. And so what I began to do, I began to to look for a place that I thought maybe that we could hold revival. And and, uh, so we found the, or picked the National Guard Armory. And then we went, spent weeks going to different churches, going to different pastors, inviting them out. And so here, five years after leaving, or more years after leaving Sampson County, but five years into my pastorate, uh, I began a revival in the National Guard Armory there. And hundreds and hundreds of people came out each night to this revival. If I'm not mistaken, somewhere around 30 Seven people were saved, and God gave us 
much fruit from that revival. God has allowed us to preach in a lot of places. I remember that we put up a tent in a little community down in Sampson County called Bastown. Now, most of you, probably hardly any of you, have ever heard of Bastown. A lot of basses lived in that place. It was a place where they had a lot of bootleg, bootleg liquor. If you don't know what that is, that's people having their own steels and making their own alcohol and their whiskey, what they call then whiskey. And they were quite properly because they didn't pay taxes on the alcohol. And you could go and you could get your quart or a pint of alcohol and uh, without paying the enormous tax price on that. I, I visited those police places ever so often. Not as a taker, but my dad, he, he's the one that took me there. So we, uh, we being David Smith and myself, we put up a tent in this little community, the bootleg capital of Sampson County, called Bastown. And we prayed and believed God for revival. This is about 40 years ago, maybe 35 years ago, that we had this revival in Bastown. Well, we wanted people to come out. We wanted people to get saved and quit drinking alcohol and a lot of other things they needed to quit. So we went to WRRZ radio station there in Clinton, and he and I made an audio tape to invite people out. And on this audio tape, I would say, I'm Don Westbrook, and we invite you out to Bastown. We have a tent, and then David Smith would say, I'm David Smith, and we invite you out to our tent, and we want you to come. Well, during that time, there was a movie that had just come out. It was about an irreputed preacher. And the advertisement for this movie was this. Lock up you women, hide all your booze, because preacher man's coming to town. (laughs) Well, some smart guy that worked at WRZ he played our, our audio tape and played that tape right behind it. So it sounded like these two preachers were coming to town, lock up your women and hide all your booze. Needless to say, we called them and begged them to separate those two advertisements. God has allowed me to conduct many revivals down east, all the way from the coast to uh, the Piedmont and beyond. He's allowed me to be able to preach in many places. One of the highlights of my ministry was in Seoul, Korea, where I had the privilege as director of education for the Full Gospel Fellowship of Churches and Ministers International to preach the commencement service there for a graduating college class uh, ministry that, that, that was going into the ministry. And in Seoul, Korea, everyone took off their shoes. You did not wear your shoes in the church, but outside in the foyer, everyone took off their shoes. And that was quite an experience. And it was quite an experience to to be able to do that. And Brother Gerald, which is teaching this morning, he went with me and just had just a wonderful, wonderful time. Had the privilege of preaching about 30 miles outside of England. 
uh, I had just had uh, uh, cancer treatment. And right after that, a couple of days after that, I took off to England to preach. And God blessed me and God helped me. And it was at a minister's conference or the fellowship leadership conference. And uh, I remember preaching there and I remember preaching from Hosea. Well, about a third way through this sermon, uh, a preacher stood up at the back, took his wife by the hand, and looked at me, pointed his hand at me, and rebuked me for the message I was preaching. I thought I was doing pretty good. I thought God was doing pretty good through us, but he came down the aisle right in front of me and just would not stop rebuking me and all of those things. Needless to say, I continued on to preach, and God blessed and I said later, I said, I just wish he'd stayed and heard the latter part because I got to the point, you know, and uh, come to find out that his doctrine was quite a bit different than certainly my doctrine. Carol and I had the privilege of going to the Vatican. Now, I didn't preach at the Vatican. The Sistine Chapel there is just one of the most beautiful places that you'll ever see and thoroughly enjoyed Rome, Italy, and all the blessings there. And then we had the privilege of being in Vijuwada, India, and we preached several nights there and just really enjoyed a meeting there with Moses Chowder and thousands and thousands of people. So, and could see how God was just really moving all over the world, whether it was in India. And then we've had the privilege several times of going to Nicaragua and preaching not only there in the main uh, church in Bluefields, there are 17 churches there that we've been supporting for over 50 years and had the privilege, and Brother Larry and I went one year and had the privilege of being or ministering to those people and seeing how that certainly God would change their lives. So needless to say, going all over the world has been a blessing for us, my wife and I. Uh, I'll never forget being in Israel and being out on the Sea of Galilee there with two large boats, 300 people. And that Sea of Galilee was so beautiful. It was so calm. It looked like you could step out of the boat onto the water and walk on the water. Believe me, I didn't try it. But anyway, it, it was just amazing. Uh, to visit. If you've never had an opportunity to go to the Holy Land, I would encourage you to do that. It, it changes your life and it is powerful. But one of the highlights of my preaching was in Turkey. Carol and I had the privilege of going where these seven churches of Asia Minor were. And when we went, there were a lot of ministers and they selected seven of us to preach at each one of those sites. Now, this is about 21 years ago that we were there, and I had the privilege of preaching on the church of Laodicea at where that church was. Now, that's moving. That's, that's quite touching to me. And, of course, the Laodicean church, and they say that each one of those, these churches represents uh, dispensations. Uh, of course, the church of Laodicea represents the final stage and represents the culture today in which you and I are living. The church of lukewarmness. Lukewarmness. The reason I brought up that preaching and the reason I brought up 
21 years ago is because I thought we had gone as about as far as we could go, being callous, lukewarm, indifferent, complacent as we could go. And then 21 years later, I look around and I see, God, how it has even changed in these last 21 years. It's scary. But I think about myself. How easy it is to become complacent. How easy it is to go through the motion. I've been doing this for over 49 years. And I can do it with my eyes closed. But is that any good? Is it any good to minister and preach and sing and witness for God without the passion of God? And I must confess I repented this morning because I can see myself at times... Because of the things that come into our lives and the activities and all the business that we go through, I can see if I'm not careful, I can fall into the very same trap. I can be deceived. I can be blinded like this church was. They said we're rich. We don't need anything. And I believe today what is as much or more prevalent in our society is that the church, and I'm not just talking about the sinner outside, I'm talking about the church as a whole. We don't need God anymore. There was a time, and I told you about these times when I held these revivals. I would be down east at these little churches, and I would preach, and I would open the altar, and folks would just, how many of you are unsaved? The unsaved folks would raise their hands. Would you come to the altar? And they would come to the altar. You can do that here today in practically any church. No one raises their hand. Very few will go to the altar unless you invite everyone to come to the altar. You know why? We don't need anything. And I trust today that we don't get there. You know, the, the, the scale I could say today would be like this. Here we are. On, well, you're looking at me from this side, but I'm going to go from my side. Here we are with our, with our enthusiasm. Here we are with our desire. Here we are with, with our, our needs from God on this side. And I'd like to think when I finish this message that the passion would go way over here. I'd say, wow, I've encouraged the people. And, but if I could just get it up to here, I'd be happy today. I would go out rejoicing. If I could stir the preacher up today. If I could move me, if I could move you, not me, but the word of God. If I could move us today, that we would not fall into the same example as many churches have fallen into. Notice on your introduction, our churches today are largely in a lukewarm condition. There is, a very, there is very little warm-hearted spirituality. You may have been in here when Juanita was shouting a while ago. Might have scared you. It shouldn't. Can I get an amen? How many of you know we should get excited about serving God? 
We go to a ball game, we jump up and down, turn flips, holler, scream till our throat is sore, and we walk out and say, wow! And then we go to church and there is very, very little compassion, emotion. Listen, it's not about emotions. It's not about turning flips. and That's not what it's about. But we need an injection. We need a spiritual injection to where God, Holy Spirit would flow through us and it would give us life. It would give us life, spiritual life. But this is where we are in our society. There is much going on in the churches, but it's largely mechanical. And of a social character, committees, societies, and clubs are multiplied. But there is an absence of spiritual, anointed, God-given heat. I cry over that. I pray, God, don't let me get there. Someone said the devil is never too busy to rock the cradle of a sleeping saint. I believe that. Don't let me sleep. I walked around this campus today and I watched as Gerald drove that bus and the people got off and others, not just those that rode the bus. And I watched the excitement, the, the, the beam, the gleam in their eye, the smile. I walked in the bathroom and it was full. It feels good to see people coming and being blessed. And I, I watched Jeremy as he directed those young kids and told them, get in line and do this and do the other. And I watched Angela as she was there. And, and, and I watched on Wednesday night as Chip and, and what's your wife's name? I forget her name. Shell. And Shelly is she, and, and all of these. Jeremy, I thank you. I thank you for the excitement. Church is more than we just elected Jeremy and put him on the board. He's a leader in this church now. But church is more than being a leader and serving the board, teaching a class, preaching behind the pulpit. It's going to the bathroom and teaching them how to wash their hands. That's what it's all about. Just getting on the bus when you don't feel like getting on the bus. It's going out and inviting someone to church. Because a lot of young people today, the environment that they live in is not wholesome. Can you imagine them coming? Listen, some of them do. They have great environments, have good moms and dads. And they're lovely, but some don't. Can you imagine them coming to a church? Well, we can say, how are you doing? Well, we can say, we love you. Well, we can say, this is the way you do it. Where we care. It's not mechanical. It's not, it's not programs. It's a church that cares enough to reach out to our hurting world. 
someone that's hooked on drugs and alcohol, someone that's made a big bad mistake in their life, and their life is dead devastated and yet we come along and put our arms around them and say it's going to be alright it's going to be alright we can have all kind of programs and have all kind of big column churches and all kind of things going on beautiful music lights and the whole nine yards but unless we care unless we reach out And let that person know we care and we love them. And this is where so many churches are today. I meet people all the time. One good thing about longevity, Brother Michael, is that you stay in a city for 49 years and and then you you go to Cracker Barrel and someone will come in and say, I know you're like last night, that couple that came in to the restaurant and sat over there. We didn't know them. We thought we did, but we didn't. Smiling and coming and greeting us and saying all kinds of things. But I see people all the time. You baptized me. And they're old. <laughs> you know, you baptized me when I was nine years old. That makes me feel old. And I baptized a kid and now they're old. You baptized me when I was nine years old. Thank you. I remember going to your church and I accepted Jesus Christ as my per- hadn't seen him in years. I had one of my former youth pastors call me day before yesterday. He was my youth pastor years ago. He was a good one. Not better than you, Michael. <laughs> he's pastoring the church down east. He's the he's a pastor of that church. He said, I just wanted to call you. Hadn't heard from him, seen him in many, many years. See, every day you live, every day I live, every day we live, we're sowing seed. And we may not see it tomorrow. We may not see it next week. We may not see it in 10 years from now. But if you're sowing good seed, it will come up and it will produce. Don't you become discouraged. Don't you become disheartened. Always be willing to reach out a hand and love someone. Help someone. This church, this Laodicean church. God said to it, look at Roman numeral number one. I know, and I love this message translation. Notice what he says. He said, I know you inside and out and... Find little to my liking. He puts it such a wonderful way. God knows us. Your wife may not know you. Your husband, your children, your mom or dad. You may say I've got it all hid and nobody knows anything about it. But God knows you inside and out. Let me ask you, does he like what he sees? I know you. Have you given up your girlfriend's telephone numbers? If you were here last Sunday morning and Sunday night, that's funny. Have you, have you stopped doing the things that you used to do? He said, I know you. 
You're neither cold nor hot. Far better to be cold or hot. And you say, why? Why is God Almighty saying, I'd rather you be totally cold, not knowing anything about God or at least serving God, going to church, doing your own thing, or hot for God? Why? Why had you rather them be that way? If you were cold, notice what I put. Maybe you would feel the coldness and need and that need, rather, might drive you to the warmth. But as long as you're warm, you're comfortable. As long as you're just mediocre, you're comfortable. I put something here at the front. Lukewarm neutrality or comfortable Christianity. We're so glad that you came. You know, just really smooth. A Harvard, Princeton, Duke, Carolina, Central graduate. And you know how to say it and how to do it. Listen, there's nothing wrong with any of that. But that, that compassion, that, you know, Jesus Christ, he looked over Jerusalem and the Bible says he wept. And he said, can you see him? He didn't say, oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem. He didn't do that. Oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. How oft would I have gathered you together as a hen that gathered her brood. And you would not because they didn't have a need. I don't want to get, you see, Today, it's, it's macho time for us. We, if, if we say we have a need, we show forth our weakness. We should always want to go to the altar. I don't care where we are, who we are. I don't want to go to the altar. Somebody's going to think I'm backslid. I don't want to go to the altar. Somebody's going to think I have a need. We do have needs. And we don't know we don't have to go to the altar, but it's a good place to go. Let me say it again. It's a good place to go. And we should feel comfortable saying, I want to go. They had just enough warmth to protect themselves against a feeling of need. Don't get there. Don't get there. I have a need. The problems of Laodicea. They were bitten by a bug of complacency and pride. Boy, that one word. Put that capital P there. Pride. Boy, the world is not the only people that have pride. We have pride. We've got too much pride. The church was spiritually arrogant in its self-satisfaction. It certainly was indifferent. The Laodicean church was spiritually blind. They were self-deceived. And you know what they would do? They simply rejected the gift of God's giving sight. It's one thing to be blind. It's something else to say, I don't want to see. Or so blind you don't know you're blind. In fact, they didn't know. And, and I won't finish this message, but, but I've, got, I've got to move on. They didn't know. And notice the things that God said 
they were. They were wretched, being worn out and fatigued with grievous labors. They were slaves. You know the reason people, listen, I know we work hard. I know sometimes on Wednesday night, folks come here and they work hard all day. And I just really appreciate that. And we work hard sometimes. But you know what I think we're more tired of than, than physical labor? And that is being wretched. That sounds like a terrible word. Let me say what it is again. Being worn out and fatigued with grievous labor. We just wrestled in our spirit. Wrestled in our mind. Wrestled with our attitude. And allowed heaviness to creep in. That spirit of heaviness. And we carried around like a cross every day of our lives. And we're give completely out because we've not gone before the Lord. Prayed before the Lord and say, Lord, lift this off of me. God wants to give us a a lightness for our spirit of heaviness. It's one thing to be tired physically. It's something else to be tired spiritually and emotionally. And this is where our world is today. Not only were they wretched, but they were miserable. That That word means most deplorable. They didn't know it. You know, what's wrong with me? I don't feel right. Maybe you... Need to read this. Maybe we need to understand we're wretched, miserable, poor, having no spiritual riches. Blind the eye of their understanding, being darkened. People don't know. You take the pundits on ABC, CBS, NBC, CNBC, Fox, and all the rest of them. You take the congressmen. You take... Most of the people in Washington, if you would roll back their blindness and see how little they do know, it would be scary. But they talk like they know. And the Democrats, they spend money and spend money. And the Republicans say, you're getting us too much in debt. And then the Republicans get in and they spend money and they spend money. And now we're trillions of dollars in debt. I got to get off. I can't get on that. That's too... That's too carnal. But people don't know. They're blinded. And I watch people. I watch a husband that has a wonderful, beautiful family. Lovely wife, children. Nice job. And then he develops an extramarital affair. And all of a sudden he's lost everything. And he's wondering, what happened? What happened to my wife? What happened to my children? What happened to my, my, my job? What happened to my life? Blinded. You don't play with fire unless you're expecting to get burned. And the Bible says if you put fire in your bosom, you are going to be burned. Blinded. Not only blinded, but naked. Without the image of God, not clothed certainly with the purity and the holiness of the Lord Jesus Christ. If ever there was a picture of the church today, this is it. But the thing that sticks in my mind is Brother Matt and them come. The thing that really sticks in my mind is that they had need of nothing. Don't get there. 
Don't let the devil rock you to sleep. Don't let the devil get you complacent. Don't let the enemy get you to where you don't need God. God, I need you. Blind Bartimaeus sat. Everybody knew him. Everybody knew he was blind. He was a beggar. He cried out. Jesus comes by. He passes him by. And he cries out, Jesus of Nazareth. So Jesus stops and he tells them to bring him to him. When that blind man got to Jesus, he didn't say, okay, I see you're blind. I'm going to heal you, Bartimaeus. He said, what do you want me to do for you? What? What? Don't you see? He's blind, yes. But he needed to know that this blind man needed to realize he needed God. One more little story. Jacob. Jacob was a patron. Uh, he was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, one of the forefathers in the Jewish religion. His name was changed to Israel. But before his name was changed to Israel, Jacob was so self-satisfied. Everything that happened practically to Jacob, he always tried to work it out himself. He always stole the, he stole the blessing the birthright. He did it himself. Mother, may I do it myself? He did it himself. He was so conceited, Jacob was. And it's just great stories, and I don't have time to tell all of you. You know, he went to to work for his father-in-law, Laban, and did a lot of different things. He saw his older brother was mad at him. Because he's taken his birthright. and He's on the way back. From his father-in-law's place. Back home. He's scared. He's afraid. He came to a place. Called. Jabbok. J-A-B-B-O-K. Jabbok. And there that night. The Lord appeared to him. And Jacob came to the end of himself. And he began to wrestle with the angel of the Lord. He wrestled all night with him. The angel said to Jacob, let me go. It's beginning to be daybreak. I've got to go. Jacob says, I'm not. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. I'm at the end of myself. I've got a need. I'm tired of being Jacob. In fact, his name was changed to Israel. You know, the, you know what the name, what they called Jabbok, you know what it was in Hebrew? The place of emptying. Jacob emptied himself that night. I want to empty myself. I hope you do. Want that too. I hope you say, God, I need you. I wrote this little prayer down. You may want to come in agreement with it. Father, 
Forgive me for my lukewarm condition, my pride, and the complacency I've shown. I repent before you today. And I pray, Lord, that you would rekindle my zeal for you. Not only for you, but for your word and for your service. And I confess this morning to you, I desperately need you to touch my life.